0: This episode is airing on Tuesday, September 14th, 2021. Hello everyone, it's Shannon and I am back to talk about fantastic books with you today. But before I do that, I am very, very excited to share a fascinating conversation I had back in early August with Kaia Alderson, whose novel Sisters in Arms released on August 3rd. I want to make a note about this interview. Um, When I conducted it, I was actually in um, a location that I don't usually record in. We had lost all of our power due to a storm here in the Midwest. So if you have any problems with the audio, if it sounds a little different than it usually does, a little less clear, um, it is because I was somewhere else and I couldn't control my environment quite as much as I hoped to in order to record. However, this is a fantastic conversation of World War II, of race, of kind of all of the things that we don't really know about history, um, the ways in which it hasn't been taught to us correctly. Um, We talk about books, of course, because why not? And I just really enjoyed this, and I hope that you take as much away from it as you listen as I did, as I participated. So, Without any further rambling from me, let's move directly into the housekeeping information, followed by the interview with Kaia Alderson, and then I will tell you about some fantastic new books out this week. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon coming to you from the storm-torn Midwest today. Um, I am fortunately in a part of the metro Detroit area that does have power, but a bunch of us don't. So today I am talking with with author Kaia Alderson about her novel Sisters in Arms, a historical fiction that was released in early August, August 3rd to be exact. Kaia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for
1: having me, Shannon. I'm excited to be here.
0: You are very welcome. So I was really intrigued when I first saw the synopsis for Sisters in Arms. In fact, um, in July, like every month, we do a kind of roundup of the books that are coming out at the beginning of you know, the next month. And Sisters in Arms was actually one of the Book Bistro most anticipated um, August releases.
1: Oh, awesome.
0: I'm so yes. <laughs> So can you start out by giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to what they can expect from Sisters in Arms? Sure, I'd be
1: glad to. Um, Sisters in Arms follows two African-American women in the 1940s, um, and they're basically trying to figure out what to do with their lives when things don't go as planned. We have one character named Grace, who is an aspiring concert pianist, and she gets some really bad news right before her big Juilliard audition and blows it um, for obvious reasons. And then uh, she has to face the question, does she go home? and tell her mother that she completely blew it or does she come home and say she joined the army and then the <laughs> other <laughs> and then the other character is eliza and she is um fresh out of college and her father is still coddling her and she's trying to prove herself so does she stand her ground or does she say "Huh, i'm joining the army instead <laughs> so it follows these two women um they become members of the first officer training class for the Women's Army Corps that was in July 1942. And then um, it follows their adventures as um, two women from the North join the segregated um, United States uh, military, which was segregated by race and by gender. And then eventually they become a part of the 6888 Postal Battalion, which was the only all black women's Army Corps unit that was deployed over to Europe during the war.
0: So first off, I have to say that I really identified with Grace at the beginning of the novel when she mm-hmm. has her Juilliard audition, because I trained um, all through like elementary, high school and college mm-hmm. as a classical vocalist. And so the idea of just, you know, having this big audition, like you've worked mm-hmm. really hard for it and then something happens and mm-hmm. it just totally doesn't go as you expect. hmm. And I just, I felt like so, so much for her at that Mm -hmm. point. And I love that you sort of incorporated that like musical um, element of her Mm -hmm. character, like so nicely into the the broader story.
1: Thank you. I'm a bit of a musical history geek, um, American popular music. So I was excited to kind of be able to work that into the story.
0: Yes, it was very, very cool, especially like when she's talking about, you know, the things that she really enjoys versus Mm -hmm. sort of the the things that her mother, you know, expects her to enjoy Mm -hmm. Um, and really like digs into that, you know, okay, like it doesn't have to be something classical or, Mm -hmm. you know, something that fits a certain, a certain genre. and. I think for a lot of people, especially, you know, as someone who grew up knowing a lot about classical music, like Mm -hmm. a lot of people that becomes like just what you know, what you do, Mm -hmm. and you can't always look away from that.
1: Mm -hmm. And I also, what I like about her journey is how um, she has to learn that it's okay to break from the norm and maybe be that trendsetter, you know, just from being one of the first women in the Women's Army Corps. I think she kind of learned that in her journey too. Yes,
0: So unfortunately I am a victim of the American school system where (laughs) we were not taught Mm -mm. um, much of anything at all about African-American women in World War II. Mm
1: -hmm. Like, and
0: so I saw this book and I was just like, Whoa, you know, this is a piece of history Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: I don't know. And not that like what I know is in any way like symbolic of what other people know, but it made me wonder, like, you know, how many people don't know about this? And so I love that you were able to kind of let people into a bit of history that perhaps is not as Mm well-known.
1: Yeah, because even um, growing up, I said I was already a music history geek. I was a history geek in general. And so intellectually, I knew that Black women had served in the Women's Army Corps during World War II, but it never clicked until I actually saw the picture. And just that moment of just having, you know, being able to absorb all of that it was like whoa but when they say representation matters it definitely does and it definitely hit me and affected me that way.
0: So when you decided to write this book Mm -hmm. did you kind of know right away that you wanted to focus on this particular um, battalion in Mm -hmm. in the army or were you kind of looking at like Black history as it relates to World War II in general? Like, how did you kind of come to deciding to write this particular story?
1: It started with um, the picture I was talking about that floated across my Twitter timeline. And, it, you know, it just, I, everything stopped. It was like, okay, I know these are Black women. I know this is Europe and this looks like World War Two. So it was an instant Google search because I was like, who, who were they? Because I'd never heard anything about that before. And just in, you know, getting the little bit you get off of Wikipedia, I was like, Oh, I have to write a story. And immediately I knew I had to do soldier girls last night in town before she ships out. And it was supposed to be a historical romance and all of that. And that, okay. So that sequence still stayed in the book. You know, I expanded it some, but it was just like, you know, Again, it was just that picture, and just knowing that it exists. I was like, oh, wow, I need to play with this. And then, you know, as I dug deeper into what life was like for black women during the war in the 40s with the limited um, employment opportunities, even if you had an education, it just all kind of it was just a playground for me. I had so much fun with it.
0: When you were creating your characters of mm-hmm. Grace and Eliza, were they like composites of people that you read about, like people that you studied, or um, are they like purely fictional characters?
1: They um, in the end are purely fictional characters, but yes, they are a composite of um, several different people. In Grace's case, um, she, the foundational personality that I used, was my aunt Carmen. Um, she was that person who at her funeral, at the very stiff and staid Episcopalian funeral, they played um, Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. And everybody laughed and was like, yep, that's Aunt Carmen. Huh. <laughs> so um, my initial question in developing Grace was how did she get like, how did, you know, what was her um, superhero origin story? So this is what, not, uh, that what I imagine Aunt Carmen specific origin story to be, but just, you know, those personality traits that I knew when I knew um, Aunt Karma later on in life. So, um, and then also when I was doing my research, there's a lot of experiences from major charity Adams and some of the other women um, that were in the 6AAA and were in the, that first um, Women's Army Corps officer class. So I took a lot of their experiences and kind of mashed it in there. In Eliza's case, I knew that it was almost like if you remember the movie Private Benjamin, where she was like a really a rich girl spoiled and pampered yes. and got thrown into the army. Um, so I was like, I'm going to write a black girl version of that. Uh, and to, um, in part to show that, you know, coming out of the Great Depression, there were um, black people of means, and that you could have this kind of spoiled, um, rich college girl getting thrown into the army. And just how do you do that? And then also part of it is When I was that age at 23, I still looked about 15 years old. And so just the idea of now she's an officer and people are supposed to take her her seriously and she's supposed to take herself seriously. I thought that would be a really fun character to play with.
0: And I love kind of the like uneasy alliance that Grace and Eliza form. You know, it's not mm-hmm. one of those things where they meet right away and they are like instant friends. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, you know, it's it's kind of a, a messy relationship and it doesn't always work well, you know, on mm-hmm. on either one of their their parts. And so I really liked watching them grow mm-hmm. like both separately and together and just kind of. See, you know, they have very different experiences. Like what, you know, what things in their lives um, Mm -hmm. contribute to those. So, when you were doing your research, did you were you able to find a lot of like historical data on? this period in history and the six triple eight like in particular or like how did you go about you know understanding and like fully embracing like this time so that you could tell um, an authentic story.
1: Well, the surprising thing about on the six triple eight is that there's there's actually a lot of information written about them it's just something that just wasn't part of the common knowledge. I think part of it is the women didn't necessarily talk about it. Like, oh, I did this really cool thing during the war. And that's kind of typical of that generation. They're like, oh, you know, we had a war. I did my bit and then I went on with my life. But um, there, it, the first book I found was To Serve My Countries, To Serve My Race by Dr. Brenda L. Moore. And it was basically a compilation of the, the whole experience. And it told the story from the beginning, from the formation of the Women's Army Corps, how um, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune made sure that Black women would have opportunities within the Corps to what they did in the Corps, and then what specifically the 6888 did, who these women were that were in that particular battalion, what their backgrounds were, what they were doing before the war, um, what their educational levels were. So there was a lot of data to help me form characters and and, and even names to make sure I didn't have anything that was completely, um, you know, not with the times. Major Charity Adams early, who was the commanding officer of the Triple Eight, did write her memoirs before she passed. It's called One Woman's Army. And it basically tells her life story. Um, It focuses on the Six Triple Eight, but it does um, start with, her growing up as a little girl and what shaped her and then her whole story of how she wound up in the women's army corps what she did while she was in there and how she rose to be basically um, i think she was the highest ranked uh, african-american woman in the women's army corps at the end of the war she um she um, was discharged as a lieutenant colonel
0: awesome mm-hmm. So have you always wanted to write a book? Like, is this something that you always knew you wanted to do or did it sort of come to you like as you were taking a a different life journey? (laughs)
1: Um, It took me a long time to accept the fact that I was a writer or, you know, I had the talent and skill. Um, Basically, I wrote a poem in English class in 10th grade and it wound up in the school's literary journal. I was like, oh, okay, there's something to this. And then, you know, I had different experiences in college where I was able to do workshops and things like that. And I was doing short stories and novellas for a while, but this is my first novel. And I like to tell people, you know, this is a marathon, you know, short stories, novellas, you know, those are sprint mid distance, but a marathon is a whole different mental game. So um, with this book, I had to c- kind of quickly figure out how to, what those differences were and, and make it work. So it was a <laughs> very interesting journey
0: were there particular differences that you found especially striking as you were kind of learning the art of novel writing well i come from
1: i was in the romance novel or romance novel writing world and in terms Yay, of length <laughs> but in terms of length um, those are shorter books they tend to be about 50 to 70,000 words sisters in arms i think with the last pass it was 104 thousand words and and what I found when you're writing these shorter books it's kind of you just jump in you know you get to the action you have to you know get these people together and start the whole story here I was able to kind of like play in the moment I wasn't you know it was like okay I find myself in this situation let's get into the character's headspace a little bit let's play around you know with with their decision making so it was you're able to really understand the characters a little bit more and kind of just sit and simmer or I'd like to say marinate in the scene so that was nice one thing that I liked and I realized that in writing this I'm probably more naturally a women's fiction novel writer than I was romance because I was always going over my word counts and like no wait how do I make this shorter and I was like oh wait I need to be writing a different type of story.
0: It's amazing to me because there are, you know, so many of those books that you're talking about, like the 50 to 75,000 word books, but then you have these like epic romances that Mm -hmm. are just big and sweeping um, Mm -hmm. and so lovely. And I always wonder like, how, how do you get to be like that person who gets to write like the big, you know, the big romance, like I recently read um, Real by Kennedy Ryan Mm -hmm and I don't have a word count on it but I would be very very surprised if it you know fell into that like shorter shorter word Mm -hmm. count Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just lovely you know in so many ways and really allowed the characters to to grow and change Mm -hmm. and I just I always wonder like you know how how does somebody get to be the person who goes outside of that you know shorter like word count limit
1: i um, believing in yourself and just having the cojones, I guess, for lack of a better word to, you know, do it. And say, I can do this. And like I said, that was part of my journey out. I spent my younger years reading, you know, the greats of black women's literature and, you know, Zora Neil Hurston wrote their eyes were watching God in six weeks. And, you know, when you sit there yeah. and you put that in your head and you're like, then you sit down to write your little story and why is this taking two years? This must be trash. And you kind of have to throw that out and be like, you know, this is my, r- you know, again, going back to the marathon analogy, this is your race, you run your race and you do it your way. And you just kind of just have to believe in yourself and believe in your story.
0: So you you're saying that you feel like you're more of a women's fiction author than like Mm -hmm. a romance author. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, I know that a lot of people take great exception to sort of that genre classification of women's fiction. Mm -hmm. You know, people say, Oh, like we don't have a genre called men's fiction. So Mm -hmm. why do we have a genre called women's fiction? And yet I find it to be kind of an apt uh, descriptor because it can incorporate so many different things like it can incorporate historical fiction mystery mm-hmm. romance coming of age like so many things but it its main focus is just the the journeys of these women mm-hmm. and it's it's a term that i find you know kind of useful like it's mm-hmm. it's perhaps not the like the best name i guess i like it better than something like chicklet mm-hmm. but you know, women's fiction, it just feels to me like a a natural term. So I wonder when you were writing this, did you decide like, okay, this is strictly historical fiction or did this feel like women's fiction-y for lack of a a better description to
1: you? Um, I call it women's historical fiction. Um, And I knew that I'm more I'm a commercial writer. I'm not a literary or literature type of girl. Um, and I, I have no problem saying that I'm very comfortable with it. And it's not basically, oh, I want to make as much money as possible. But that's the voice that I prefer to write in. That's the voice that I prefer to read in. And I actually went and immerse, immerse myself in other women's historical fiction to um, oh. kind of become more, you know, kind of tread that water and become more comfortable in that space and how do they tell those stories yes I still read I read so wide it's ridiculous like if anybody follows my twitter I spend half the time talking about fantasy because I love to read fantasy and again would I ever write it no because um, my imagination and you know I'm always amazed by what people come up with and I'm like okay I'll just stick in my you know historical is my is my pod but um I think it's just knowing who you are and your voice and being comfortable with that, not caring, you know, some people will sit there and scoff and turn up their noses, but it's like, I can read that, you know, okay. It has its place and I enjoy it, but you know, in terms, I'd rather have fun if I'm writing. And for me, this is fun. So
0: So did you get to read like all sorts of fantastic things when you were immersing yourself in this idea of like women's historical fiction? Mm-hmm.
1: I started off with um, the Alice Network by Kate Quinn. yeah, Then I went to Somewhere in France by Jen Robson, oh. and oh God, who else did I read? Um, I read Atomic City Girls by Janet Beard. Um, I'm trying to think what else I read. I just read so many all at once. So those are you- the ones that stuck out to me. Um, Huntress, i Huntress. I read during the course of all that too. On Is. Quinn.
0: I really love Jennifer Robson, um, especially the gown, um, mm-hmm. her novel about the the marriage of Queen Elizabeth. I think that's mm-hmm. my favorite Robson book. Um, mm-hmm. although I do also really love, um, what is that? Good night from London. Yes. Um, which is her world war two. Yes. Novel. Although she has mother. several that kind of, um, you know, like dance around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's, the one that she came out this, with this year, which is set in Italy during World mm-hmm. War II, um, that but I also so loved a lot. Yes, mm-hmm. she is amazing. Knight, love that one. Yes,
1: yes. So, can you tell us anything about what might be coming next for you? Yes, uh, my working title for my next book is called In a League of Her Own, and it is about Effa Manley Uh, She is currently the only woman who has been enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and she was a co-owner of a Negro Leagues team in the 1930s and 40s. Before that, she was um, a civil rights activist in Harlem in the 30s. Um, She basically spearheaded the campaign in Harlem of the Don't Shop Where You Can't Work. So during the um, Great Depression on 125th Street, um, that's where everybody in that community shopped, but nobody could get it the job there so she was one of those people that made sure opened up those doors um what else did she do um when it was time when in, um when integration of baseball happened in major league baseball she put her foot down she was the first owner to be paid um for one of her players going over to the majors out of the negro leagues and so she set that precedent where before they're just kind of pinching um the best players and not compensating the negro leagues which um in today's terms they're kind of like the minor league. So they were developing the talent, investing in the talent, but not getting compensated when they were um, taken into a different league. Um, so good. she con- yeah. So she's considered like um in today's terms, a general manager. So she was a really big deal. And for that time and place, you know, that kind of, I want, I don't want to say it's not usual, but that's not the usual story that we hear. Oh. And on top of that, Um, nobody knows for sure if she was, um, 100%, if she was black, if she was 100% white somewhere in the middle and she Ah. lived her life. She lived as a black woman. She was raised as a black woman. She wasn't told until, um, her late teens that She was 100% white, but even that might not be true based on census records. So, um, you know, if she wouldn't correct you if you made um, the wrong assumption, oh, you must be white. Um, And that's how she got jobs or stayed in hotels when she traveled, but she was very out there for civil rights um, causes. They had an anti-lynching day at the ballpark. They had NAACP fundraisers or days at the ballpark that she spearheaded. So she's really fascinating character. I have a person I should say I have a
0: podcast presenter um, named Amber who has always really been into baseball Mm -hmm. so when I tell her that this is coming out Mm -hmm. she will be very happy and I'm guessing you will end up being um another like most anticipated monthly release (laughs) um whenever this comes out because I'm guessing that um Amber will will pick this I'm guessing um Will it be out like next year, are you thinking? Um, I think
1: right now it's tentative for spring of 2023, just in ah, time for baseball okay. season.
0: <laughs> okay. So yeah, then, you know, we will definitely be keeping an eye out for it. And I'm guessing that Amber will um, scoop it up as a as a most anticipated, because I know she's always looking for things, especially about like marginalized um, communities where, you know, you don't get to hear Mm -hmm. so many of of those stories you know you can read a lot about like men who play Mm -hmm. baseball obviously and even some things about women who play baseball but not necessarily about like a black woman specifically or a woman who lived um, as a black woman so I think that's going Mm -hmm. to be a very very cool thing when it comes out okay
1: well I'll make a note Amber to let you know when it's ready for the world (laughs) yes she'll be very happy i will i will text her and tell
0: her that we talked about this and she'll be mm-hmm. very very mad at me because this is not coming out for a while
1: <laughs> yeah i'm still researching it like my big thing right now is effa kept a scrapbook of um her life from basically oh. the time the time span that i'm studying the book which is from 1932 to about 1948 and it's not just her baseball stuff and I need to go up to Cooperstown, but, you know, with travel and everything like that, I'm still having to push it back. Um, they were able to send me like some photocopies, but it wasn't the whole thing. So I was able to piece together some things. And it's actually really cool how I'm, I'm able to research it just from little things that I am able to find in footnotes where she's mentioned or just in the scrapbook. Where, you know, I, I realized, oh, she knows she knew so-and-so, she, you know, I, so it's really interesting Um, the, the research process for this, but I really hope I get to go up to Cooperstown soon.
0: I'm guessing that for a lot of people, especially people who write in genres that rely you know, heavily on research as like historical fiction would, that COVID and the whole like pandemic has impacted that, like in sort mm-hmm. of ways that we may not think about. You know, I think mm-hmm. about people not being able to do like in-person book tours during the height mm-hmm. of the pandemic. And it never really occurred to me I don't know why but it didn't that like people couldn't travel you know for research I guess like I'm not a travel person I'm like the most introverted person you will ever know and Mm -hmm. if I could like hide in my house always with like books and my cats Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would be my my like dream life but I know that you know for most people travel is is a big deal Mm -hmm especially if you're, you're researching. So I do yeah. hope that, you know, you can get to do the research that you, know, you want to do, like in person, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that would be probably a very useful, um,
1: like piece of, of the puzzle. Yeah, I think I'll be able to find the little tidbits that aren't as easily to find about Effa because um, her baseball life is basically well documented, but her non-baseball life, not so much. But I am starting to dig up some stuff and, you know, I just want to pursue a little bit more so I can have that, those nice little details in there for you guys.
0: That is awesome. Have you found like anything else particularly difficult or like surprisingly easy about writing and editing and putting out a book like while so much of the world is still impacted by by
1: COVID? Um, I would say I was doing the last the last round revisions or edits or something during that first week in January, that was very tumultuous. Oh. So that was, you know, that was very interesting because my editor, like the day after she was like, so when do you think it'll be done? And I'm like, um, I don't know. I was like, give me a week past the inauguration, <laughs> which is, you know, I was able to do that. But it's just like, you know, because you're at a certain point because I still have my day job, you know, it was just like, I looked at myself, I'm like, are we really supposed to be working right now? <laughs> Does anybody Mm -hmm. expect to be working while this is happening on the TV? Um, Because like one of um, somebody I grew up with is actually one of the um, officers that was there. So it's just like, I I don't know how to, you know, it's just it was it was weird. So in terms of like those specific um, events that, you know, that was interesting um
0: that was like a terrible terrible time
1: yeah it it was just surreal because it's just like okay i'm writing you know and then you're writing about the war it actually kind of informs because you're like all right you're in the middle of this event where you know bombs are literally exploding everywhere and um you know it was it was interesting where everything that's happened during the pandemic i was able to kind of oh while i'm experiencing that i can relate it to this book i'm working on where you know when you're living through a war, even if you don't live in the war zone, everything is so uncertain and unpredictable. Not saying that we were in a war zone, but you know, it was a little chaotic and it It was
0: a little, uh, (laughs) intense and and
1: bad. And And then you have these lulls and moments of, of real life. And you're like, okay, I'm dealing with, you know, within my book is like, do I pursue this relationship with this guy or not because tomorrow I don't know what's going to happen and you just like you know little it it was interesting where you're able to pluck you know stuff from today that you might be considered a little unusual and pull it into this historical thing that happened 75 years ago and you're you're always like okay so that's how they dealt with it maybe that's why our grandparents and great-grandparents were the way they were (laughs) with us (laughs) So I have
0: grown up like always as like a grandma's girl. In fact, Mm -hmm. as I'm talking to you, I'm in my grandmother's house (laughs) because we lost power. Um, We had Mm -hmm. really bad weather and we Mm -hmm. lost power. There are like half a million people um, Mm -hmm. in in Metro Detroit that have no power. So I'm like hanging out with my grandma. Mm -hmm. And I think we learn just so many things you know, from people who lived through that, or in the case of my grandma, um, she was born in 1940. So she doesn't have like specific memories of wartime, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: she grew up, you know, with a mother who worked in like the auto factories um, Mm -hmm. here in the U S you know, when like in Detroit, when like most of the men went off to war. So even though she doesn't have those direct experiences that she remembers, I think a lot of that, you know, shaped like her childhood and shaped her Mm -hmm. into who she is, you know, now as the woman, you know, that I knew um, and, you know, continue to know. Um, And it's just, I think there's so much that we learn from people Mm -hmm. who have come before. And I'm lucky to be, you know, 41 and Mm -hmm. still have my grandma who is, Mm -hmm. you know, well and like, you know, like still very sharp mentally Mm -hmm. Um, and I, that's just like such a, such a gift that, you know, I wish like everybody could have, like everybody should be in their forties and say like, oh, you know, like I'm going to go hang out with my grandma. I'll just pack up the cats Mm -hmm. and go.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's what I do. And one thing that, you know, I learned, especially while working on this book is, um, the conversations I wasn't able to have with my grandparents because um, even oh. um, when my last grandparent passed, I was like 18 or 19 years old. And just because things didn't come up and uh-huh. I didn't know to ask the question. So like, while I'm in the middle of writing this book, you know, I always knew my grandfather was one of the first Black firefighters in New York City. And he was also one of the founding members of their fraternity organization. Oh. And for whatever reason, I'm researching something related to my book and I fall down this rabbit hole about Black firefighters in New York City, and then come to realize my grandfather, you know, because I was just like, oh, he's a, he was just a rank and file guy. No, he was the president of the organization, or learning what actually um, they were, those uh, first black firefighters went through and how they were treated. And then you're like, wait a minute, y'all did this to my grandfather. And now I'm sitting there, you know, at work. <laughs> sure pissed off because so but he never talked about it and as I learned more about what his experience was I realized why he didn't talk about it but he didn't even talk about his accomplishments because I was giving this feeding my dad all this he's like I didn't know that you know he didn't say anything about this I was like yeah when he was president he um they put together a report compiling the abuses that they were experiencing within the fire department and presented it to Mayor LaGuardia (laughs) and you know he was interacting and, and And I'd spoke, someone actually wrote a book about this and I talked to the guy and I was like, so who is he interacting with? Oh, you know, he was probably, he would have hung out with um, Thurgood Marshall and (laughs) A. Philip Randolph, you know, who organized the March on Washington Nights. And I'm sitting there like, wait what <laughs> really wow <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's just little things like the um the late all the labor people that you hear about like in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s he was interacting with me He was like he didn't talk about it you're like oh my god I and he passed when I was 14 so there was opportunity to have those conversations and appreciate it so I would going back to your point you still have your grandma ask about it um, cause yes. even, even in her case, she was raised by the world war II generation. And remember the children of those of that generation were the hippies and the anti-war people. So you have, you have it's that, true. You know, just what was growing out. You know, my dad doesn't, and he's like, you're trying to remind me for stories for your book. I'm like, no, I'm actually generally curious what growing up was like, you know, from somebody from being raised by people who experienced war like that. And then yeah. having this whole new world, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that's my geek.
0: <laughs> it is. It's very, very fascinating. And I love when people are able to take those little bits of history that, you know, aren't commonly known mm-hmm. and bring them to life on the page. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could probably keep talking to you about yep. all this for quite a long time. But I think that no one would want um, to listen to this episode, like go on for as
1: long as it could. Oh, yeah, because I could deep dive into it. (laughs) I told you, I could geek out about this stuff all day.
0: So before I bring this to a close, um, Mm -hmm. can you let people know the best way to find you online?
1: Yes, I am very active on Twitter. My handle there is at KaiaWrights, which is K A I A W R I. TES. Um, that's also my handle on Instagram. And I'm trying to, I haven't gotten into TikTok yet. I am so resistant, but I think the main way would be um, Instagram and Twitter. And then my um, website is www.kaiaalderson.com. Um, it's just my name is spelled out.
0: Awesome. Well, Again, I want to thank you so much for taking time away from your your research and other (laughs) daily life stuff um, and chatting with me today so that listeners can know a little bit about
1: you and, and the work that you do. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation.
0: Okay, so are we ready to talk about new books? I say we are because when aren't we? So there are quite a few great things out today. Um, I think when I stopped making this list, I have about 25 books to talk about. So here we go. I'm going to start with a bunch that you've heard us mention previously on our most anticipated books of September episode. So I'm starting with a book that Stacy is looking forward to. This is The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. I talked about the new Leanne Moriarty book, Apples Never Fall. It is out today. It will be appearing in my library in just a few hours. I am so, so excited. Um, Sarah has a couple of great books that she's looking forward to today. Um, When Sorrows Come. October Day, Book 15, by the incomparable Seanan McGuire, and With You Forever, Bergman Brothers, Book 4, by Chloe Leese, who is an author that I recently discovered after Sarah recommended her to me. And I am so glad that she told me about her because she writes these fantastic, big-hearted romances, and I love them. And Amber is looking forward to Neil by Candace Buford. Natalia is very excited about the new Tiffany D. Jackson, which is called White Smoke. It looks like a bit of a departure for her. She usually writes kind of dark YA thrillers, and it looks like now we are stepping into a bit of horror and ghostiness. And for those of you who know me, you know that ghosts are not my favorite, but I absolutely love Tiffany D. Jackson. So I might have to try this, even though I'm not a big ghost fan. Okay, so let's talk about some books that you haven't heard us talk about before. Um, I'm going to start with some mysteries and thrillers and I'm super excited to tell you about this first one. This is My Sweet Girl by Amanda Jaitisa and this is an own voices story based partly in Sri Lanka and partly in San Francisco. It is super dark very creepy. I can't say too much about it without giving it away, but if you're looking for something very, very scary and compelling, I highly recommend it. It's My Sweet Girl by Amanda Jayatisa. We then have Nice Girls by Catherine Dang, and this is a thriller kind of orbiting around true crime, as a lot of thrillers do these days, which makes me very, very happy. And this asks the question, is it more dangerous for a woman to show the world what the world expects to see or who she really is? This is on hold for me at my public library. Um, hopefully it won't take a million years to get here. It's Nice Girls by Katherine Dang. We then have a new book by Melinda Lee. This is right behind her. This is the fourth book in her Brie Taggart series. This is a series that I haven't started yet. I am still reading and really, really loving her Morgan Dane books, but I do plan to start her Brie Taggart series pretty soon as well. I really enjoy the blend of thriller and romance that Lee does here, where you get just the perfect amount of both. So I'm hoping that that holds true for this series as well as it does for the Morgan Dane books. But this one is right behind her. Brie Taggart, book four by Melinda Lee. This next book has a title that I absolutely love. This is Dark Things I Adore by Katie Latari. And this is... A dual timeline thriller, it looks like. So there are three campfire secrets, two witnesses, and one person dead in the trees. There's also a woman who is determined to make the guilty pay, even though whatever happened was 30 years in the past. I need this right now. It's dark things I adore by Katie Latari. This next book is pretty likely to appeal to Brooke as well as to other people who read a lot of crime. Um, I think of Brooke for this one particularly because she's the one who told me about this author. But this is Denial by Beverly McLaughlin and she is the former Chief Justice of Canada. This is her second novel. And this is the story of a defense attorney whose involvement in a murder trial calls into question her own personal truths. It is denial by Beverly McLaughlin. And we have some historical mysteries, of course. This is Deadly Summer Nights. Catskill Summer Resort Mysteries, book one by Vicki Delaney. And this is set in the 1950s. It seems to have a little bit of a political bent to it. Um, There's some discussion of like espionage, um, perhaps some communism. So if you like political thrillers with a dash of history, you might want to check this out. It is Deadly Summer Nights. Catskill Summer Resort Mystery, book one by Vicki Delaney. And if you want a bit of a romp back in the 1920s, then you may be a fan of this next book. This is Farewell Blues. It is Lady Adelaide, book four by Maggie Robinson. And this is a series that I have not checked out yet, although I really want to. It is a cozy and I am a bit pickier than some on the podcast when it comes to cozy mysteries. So I don't read a ton of them. However, I really enjoy the idea of a mystery set in the 1920s, so I think I'm going to have to start at the beginning of this series and see what I think. But this is Farewell Blues, Lady Adelaide, book four, by Maggie Robinson. Okay, moving into some historical fiction, this first book is one I'm very excited about. This is The Dressmakers of Auschwitz by Lucy Adlington. And when I first read the synopsis of this, I honestly thought that it was going to be nonfiction, but it actually looks like a novel. And it is about a group of Jewish women in Auschwitz who were tasked with making clothing for the wives of Nazi officials. I think there's so much that we don't know about World War II, and the market is a bit saturated with World War II fiction, I realize, but I am kind of startled on a monthly basis by all the things that I just never knew about the war. So, this is The Dressmakers of Auschwitz by Lucy Adlington, and... We have A Most Clever Girl by Stephanie Marie Thornton. This is the story of a woman who was spying against the United States for Russia and then kind of turned her coat and decided to spy on Russia for the United States. Um, Stephanie Marie Thornton has written a number of historical novels in the past, and this one is especially interesting because... It tells kind of a story of like a double agent, and it's not something that we hear a lot about, especially as it relates to women. So this is A Most Clever Girl, and it's by Stephanie Marie Thornton. All right, I'm shifting gears here to talk about a couple of romances. Um, First, we have a young adult romance. This is It All Comes Back to You. By Farah Naz Ricci. And this is about a couple of exes who have to revisit their past relationships when I'm sorry, their past relationship when their siblings start dating. Yeah, that could be a little awkward. So this is It All Comes Back to You, and it's by Farah Nas Ricci. Alexis Daria is releasing a lot like Adios this week. Um, she wrote a book last year called You Had Me at Ola, and this is like a, a kind of a similar title, but not. it doesn't seem to be related in terms of a series. This is about a commitment-phobic woman who has a second chance when her childhood best friend and crush returns after some time away. This is A Lot Like Adios by Alexis Daria. And how about some fantasy, right? Because there's just so much good fantasy out there. So I'm starting off the fantasy section of today with winter light. Green Rider Book 7 by Kristen Britton. This is a series I have never read. It's been around for quite a long time. I've heard so many good things about it. I've heard some comparisons to Mercedes Lackey's um, Valdemar books. So if you like those, you might want to check this one out. Um, Britton released six books and then took a break. And now she's back with Book 7. And here it is. It's Winter Light. And again, it's by Kristen Britton. We then have a book called Servant of the Blood. This is Everly Abbott, book one, by K.N. Bannett. This is an author that Kristen really likes, um, and she has a new series. This one is about a human woman who grew up in a vampire nest, the vampire's are in a state of flux, though, when their master dies and someone new is now in charge. Apparently, this is not a good thing, and our heroine has to decide what she's going to do about it. It is Servant of the Blood, and it is Everly Abbott, book one, by K.N. Bannett. Then we have True Dead, Faith. This is by Faith Hunter. It is the latest Jane Yellowrock book, number fourteen. I'm not current with this series. I'm still like on number ten, I think. But I really, really love Jane Yellowrock. I love the indigenous culture that Hunter has woven into this story. Um, I also just love the evolution of the characters and if you know me even a little bit, you know that I would be absolutely entranced by the idea of a woman who shares her body with a giant cat. So it's True Dead, Jane Yellow Rock, book 14, by Faith Hunter. And some young adult fantasy to round things off. We have The Hollow Heart, this is Midnight Lie, book two by Marie Rudkowski. The first book in this series was released last year. And it is kind of a, a spin-off of um, her Winner's Crime series that was written several years ago. Um, it takes place kind of in a setting that reminds me a bit of ancient Rome. So if that's something that appeals to you, you might want to check this out. This is The Hollow Heart. Midnight Lie, book two, by Marie Rutkowski. We then have a new series by Bridget Kemmerer. This is Defy the Night, Defy the Night, book one. And it talks about a girl who is bringing a corrupt kingdom down and she's willing to do whatever is necessary. I love books like these where someone who is supposed to be kind of powerless, like steps into power and stands up for the things that they believe in. I'm very, very excited about this. It's Defy the Night. Defy the Night, book one by Bridget Kemmerer. And we have Walking in Two Worlds by Wab Kinu. This is an indigenous author that Brooke mentioned way back in the beginning of 2019 when she joined the podcast. Um, she talked about a memoir of his and now he has a novel. This is about an an indigenous teen girl who is pretty literally caught between two worlds both in real life and in virtual life. It is Walking in Two Worlds by Wab Kinu. And rounding it off today I'm excited to talk about The Lost Girls by Sonia Hartle. And this is a vampire kind of uh, like extravaganza. It is a young adult story of revenge and romance and fantasy. I was very, very excited for Hartle's um, debut novel for adults, which was called Heartbreak for Hire. Um, It was released not too long ago I think in late July or in early August and I'm very excited to see her kind of stepping into the young adult realm as well so this is The Lost Girls and it's by Sonia Hartle and that my friends is it for me today I hope that all of you are staying safe and well of course I hope you are reading lots of fantastic things (laughs)